Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome back to Seriously, another week, another Seriously, time marches forward. <laughs> yep. In response to some of your requests when we are away, we're not going anywhere yeah. for at least till Christmas, it's fine. Speaking of Christmas, thank you so much for your Christmas emails that we've had so far. Yeah, we've had some really, really good ones. Um, the Christmas special is in the works, so if you, but there's plenty of time if you still want to contribute your ideas about it, just drop us an email, seriouslypod at gmail.com. Yeah, and we've had some really interesting recommendations so far, so keep them coming in. We've also got a little public service announcement. We have moved to a different podcast host, so our RSS feed has changed. If you're subscribed in iTunes, you're still subscribed in iTunes, but if you get it some other fancy podcast way, then maybe double check it. We're now on Acast. The RSS feed is on all the uh, show notes that we have. And also on the general page for infos, newstatesman.com forward slash seriously. We're big fans of Acast. They offer us lots of things we weren't getting on the uh, the old service, so hopefully you will like it too. Another podcast that are on Acast, whom we love very much, are Call Your Girlfriend. And we had a really nice email exchange with them this week, didn't we? We did indeed. Their podcast is called Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. They're two best friends who live in different cities and they use their podcast as a way of like, keeping in touch. Ages ago, they did an episode where they basically said, why aren't there more women podcasters? This is appalling. Yeah. If you are women podcasters please tell us so that we can be friends with you. They're also a women-edited podcast, aren't they? Like they are. us. So, that's so, um, so I just dropped them a line saying, hey, that's us, so glad you're out there too. And they sent us a really nice nice response. Particularly, one of the co-hosts, Amina Tu, told us about how she's now getting into One Direction thanks to us. So Yay! <laughs> so thanks so much, guys. And yeah, it's a pleasure to be sharing a platform with you. The first thing that we're going to talk about this week is Scream Queens, which is a horror slash comedy slash teen drama on Fox. It's from Ryan Murphy and the makers of Glee. So it's tonally got some similarities there, though it is, as you can probably tell from the title, a little bit darker because it's basically like a horror spoof, would you call it? Yeah, I think that's that's accurate. I feel like it's going for the 21st century version of, the, you know, those parody films they were making like teen movie and horror yeah. movie. It's, it's, it's like that. 
Yeah, and it's obviously quite influenced by Scream. And yeah, so the the plot sort of centres around a college and a sorority house in this college called Kappa House. There are these three, or four actually, sorry, queen bees in the sorority house. They're really obsessive about the sorority, getting the right kind of girl signing up. So it's that's all, you know, a bit gossip girl, that sort of elitism. And Emma Roberts plays Chanel number one, and she's flanked by her cronies, who are Chanel number two, three, four. Lots of strange goings on seem to have been happening in this sorority house. They keep having flashbacks to the 80s, where there was some sort of horrible death in a bath. And then this guy in the modern day in a plastic red devil outfit starts basically taking people out one by one in this sorority house. You can't join Cap Capital. I joined that sorority to feel close to my mom. She died when I was really little. I think all these sororities are evil, but that house is truly dangerous. You gals are gonna stay here overnight while the Chanel's and I go get banana daiquiris at the White Stallion. Good night, ladies. What's happening? Very quickly, you learn it has a very casual relationship with death and gore. Yeah. And part of the way it deals with this is because Chanel, number one, who's kind of the central character, at least as far as I've watched she is, mm-hmm. she is kind of dead inside in the sense that she is <laughs> capable of looking at a dead body and going this isn't my problem yeah i'm walking off yeah she's especially odd in that in fact all the characters are in that they like get scared about the fact that people are like being mowed down in ridiculous quantities for like five minutes and then they're all like yeah, i'm sure this is like over now yeah i mean <laughs> it'd be totally fine if i go back in this house it won't like definitely happen again so the first episode it really quite quickly initiates you into the like tone of it doesn't it which is like very silly the gore is like very overdone to try and, I think, make it seem less scary in a way. Like, I am someone who doesn't watch horror and find it quite scary, but people Same. I watch it with who aren't like that are quite like, what are you talking about? It's yeah, so fun. I think we, we are totally on the same page on this, it, perhaps unusually. I genuinely had to, like, pause it and, and like, okay. calm down a bit <laughs> at one point. Um, because I have a very sensitive trigger when it comes to, like, anything scary or suspenseful or gory oh my god the bit where apologies if you don't want it spoiled but the woman's face gets put in the deep fat fryer and then she pulls all the butter off oh my goodness that was so horrible so a lot of the deaths are quite like weird i don't know another way to put it like they're they're gruesome in really like strange ways it's not like people getting there well i mean this kind of stuff does happen but like the scariest bits are the bits that are not someone's head getting chopped off with a chainsaw but like bizarre deaths like there's sort of a fake tanning spray oh, acid, acid scenario that's like really quite awful and horrible yeah and i suppose it's just to kind of slightly analyze my own attitude to it for a second i'm fine with the violence in something like robocop where it's like a police movie lots of people getting shot but the gore is really stylized and there's just like massive splashes mm. of red everywhere well, what about like sweeney todd um, something like that which is like very bloody again fine yeah i think actually what stresses me out about this is not so much the act of violence it's how unusual usual the violence is and also how the characters don't seem bothered by it i also think it's quite incongruous to i mean i know obviously horror films have played with this for ages and ages and ages so perhaps it's actually quite traditional in a way but because it's so tonally like a teen drama Mm, and it looks like like, clueless yeah it looks like clueless it's very 90s pastels and there's like you know lush carpets and stuff in the sorority house and one minute you're watching these girls like argue over you know who gets to be in the sorority house and the next minute someone's having like nails put through their face yeah and the, the shift 
is so extreme and marked that it makes me feel a bit like awful Mm. (laughs) and I also don't know if it's because it's like a college thing and so it's like more I don't know more scary in a way because it's more accessible to my life for the first 10 minutes or so I was comparing it to I think is it season three of Buffy where Mm. when they graduate high school and they go to college there is actually an episode where they go to a Halloween party in a sorority house even though none of the characters themselves are members of it they they go to this party and something happens and all of the horrors in the house are real or something like that yeah and so the whole episode is just them going around this haunted house like trying to fight off actual demons and Mm. stuff but again that didn't freak me out in nearly the way this did I think because in Buffy the actual was always minimal like you saw vampires being staked and stuff and occasionally real human tragic victims of stuff but you didn't actually see their blood splashed everywhere Mm. and also because Buffy had a superhero in it that was going to save the day that was the premise of the show Buffy yeah. was always going to fix it there's no good characters in this is no there? there aren't it's really actually quite bleak yeah, I mean, that I I don't know how I feel about the characters in it because you can't like any of them particularly. So they have this character called Grace who is... How would you describe her? She's like... I, I feel like she's the Dan from Gossip Girl. Though there is also a, a very much a Dan from Gossip Girl who's her, like, mate, who's the guy who works on the student paper. She's not interested in being part of the, like, elite circle, but she also really is, and she's sort of lying to herself and pretending that she wants to, like get in because her mum was in it and actually that's what she's interested in and she wants to reform it and make it a better place whereas actually she she just wants to be in there i feel like we all know that character from those sort of like early noughties teen long-running shows the character who's like the good one and they're quite good at like playing with that and she's quite suspicious in the fact that she's like the good one and you're a bit like what are your motives because you're obviously not going to be motivated by anything other than selfishness Mm. because that's how these characters work and it's the same with her like friend on the student paper who's like yeah i'm gonna expose like the shit in kappa house and you're like there's something really something very stressful about you that's actually the the plot i was the most interested in weirdly actually actually for a female-centric show the the like only male character really apart from we assume the devil person yeah yeah this kind of student journo who is I think the reason I sympathise with him because he's the only person who is unequivocally going, that place is bad. Don't yeah. go in that place. But and then he's also always trying to get in there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but at least he is sort of trying to do something about it, you yeah. sense. Although maybe that's all just an elaborate plot. And it's him in the devil costume. I don't know. I think my favourite thing about this show is in the visuals. Yeah. I think it's like, it looks amazing. All the colours, all the pastels, like, I love all that. And I love all the visual references to other films, mm. which happens all the time. The film that I really thought of when I watched that first episode was Heather's, because mm. you get introduced to all the Chanel's, and it's just like Heather's, you know, Heather number one, Heather number two. And Heather's is another, like, great teen movie with this, like, streak of, like, really unsettling comedic violence. Mm. So I think it's really influenced by that. And they also have that scene where they're all, like, buried in the lawn up to their necks and that's something that really bizarrely happens in heathers too i can't imagine what they're doing if not making an overt reference to heathers in that scene yeah i saw some of the promo for this a while ago and they are very deliberately like staging references to other films apparently later on there's one to psycho and stuff like that yeah jamie lee curtis acts her mother's psycho shower scene out tarvi gevinson Mm. is in it Yeah, and she comes in and does like a Mia Farrow, Rosemary's Baby thing. The texture of it visually is really clever and there's like always a lot going on. So I find that when I'm watching it, although I'm quite disconnected from all the characters and I'm quite uncertain about some of the lines and the language in there, I'm not sure I'm like (laughs) that behind it. I do really find myself engaging visually 
and like trying to work out what sort of games they're playing which is fun yeah we should mention actually also jamie lee curtis's character as the sort of dean of the college or something yeah very unsettling very unsettling she's got this kind of vendetta against the sorority and you know she's sort of doing good things for bad reasons like she forces them to be more diverse in the people they accept to be pledges and stuff like that but again just like this the journalist she's just doing it because she wants to be in there yeah and it's, it's all very funny because like every character's up to something bad and you're just trying to figure out whether that thing is murdering loads of people or not. And I have a feeling that the end is just going to be like, oh yeah, everyone was doing it at some point. Because there are loads of these, the, basically the costume that he mur- the, the killer murders people in. Several people have access to one of these costumes. Yeah. And it can't possibly be just one per. I mean, I'm only about four or five episodes in. And already so many people have died. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, like, I know. Cannot possibly be one person killing them all. I have to say, actually, the one the one killing that I did genuinely laugh out loud at was when Ariana Grande died. This was like one of the best bits in the whole show, I think, so far, which is like a really great scene where Ariana Grande, who like, as a human being, is like visually representative of the whole vibe of the show. She's got yeah. that really like baby girl 90s thing going on. And she's like all by herself in a room and she's like doing her like innocent shocked face like... <gasps> And then the guy in the red devil suit is there and he like texts her, doesn't he? Because well, he doesn't speak yeah. or she doesn't speak because clearly it's someone she knows and it would therefore give away the yeah. the identity. So she texts her being like, I'm going to kill you now. She's like, wait, no. Yeah, instead <laughs> of saying it out loud, she just texts back like, wait, what? <laughs> question mark, question mark. So her death is really funny and like, I, I think those bits are quite sharp and sh- quite clever. But then in other places, I feel very strongly that this show tries to be edgy Mm. in a way that like completely fails. And it's just like, well, that's just like offensive in a way. In the first episode, they have a character called Deaf Taylor Swift. Yeah. And the actress is actually deaf. I mean, I'm sure the actress herself would argue that it's like not an offensive caricature. But like all the other characters like call her Deaf Taylor Swift and like laugh at her basically because she's deaf. And pretty much. And like, obviously, that's meant to make them look bad. And that's the point of those lines. But at the same time, the punchline is still that the girl is deaf. So I'm a bit like. I don't I don't know if I can get behind these and kind of lines. All of her lines are like, I can't hear you. Yeah, exactly. Which is, yeah, she could have more lines. And not be a punchline the whole time. There are lots of things like that the whole way through. Like again, this was something they, that Ryan Murphy did quite a lot in Glee, is that he'd have the cheerleaders and the cheerleaders would say really offensive things. Mm-hmm. And obviously your get out for that is like these cheerleaders are horrible people and like you're not meant to identify with them. Actually the Chanel's really reminded me of the cheerleaders in Glee in the first couple of series. Yeah. Because obviously it all changed after that and they like... Humanised Joined them. the Glee club yeah. and like had their own issues and stuff. But yeah, particularly Quinn in the early series of Glee. Diana Agron's character. character. I felt was very influential in this. Yeah. And I think there's lots of good things to be said about, you know, not, not shying away from the fact that people can be really, really horrible to each other and like say all these horrible things. But I think you have to be careful about where the laugh actually lies. Yeah. And for me, sometimes this is on the wrong side of that. But I'm still watching it. So mm. some, something's keeping me sticking, you know, I'm sticking with it for some reason. Something's hooked me about it, even if I'm a bit like ambivalent about how I actually feel about it. And also we should just say before we wrap up on that one, thank you very much to emailer Alice, who first recommended us to watch Screen Queens. Yeah, and we finally got around we to it. We finally got around to it. And if you've recommended us stuff and you haven't heard us talk about it yet, be assured that it will be in the works. We've got a planner going for weeks ahead now. Yeah. And so, yeah, we are trying to get through everything that you've suggested. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. now we're going to go a bit off piste and instead of talking about the hunger games as our film of the week which we'll probably do next week i think won't we we will because i have to see some of the other films and catch up instead we're going to talk about a much smaller non-blockbustery film which is lady in the van the film version of alan bennett's is it a memoir it's sort of a, a sketch from his life it isn't was it? originally a memoir i believe that was published in the london review of books and then he did it as a play that was at the national theater and i think that was about 10, 15 years ago the play mm. was on and now finally it's a film. This is why the film was directed by Nicholas Heitner who was the then director of the National Theatre and did the play at the time. Yeah and he's worked with Alan Bennett in lots of different yeah. ways hasn't he? Because yeah. he, he, he's directed loads of his plays and also helped out with other film yeah. adaptations. So it's basically about Alan Bennett as you can imagine. As, as he frequently says in the film everything he writes is always about him. <laughs> a period in his life, well, the film calls itself a mostly true story, doesn't it? it? It quite overtly plays with the idea that it might not all have happened, but it's about a period in his life where a sort of homeless woman set up her van outside his house, and she lived in the van outside his house for about 15 years. Yeah. Your name's Benny. An educated woman and living in a van. I'm studying incognito at Paris. But what? What were you studying? Music. The pianoforte. Last year she was in Gloucester Avenue. Now it's our turn. Were you planning on staying long? Mr. Baggett, the ideal would be off-street parking. We were just saying how grateful she'll be. So Maggie Smith plays the lady in question, who's variously named sort of Margaret or Mary and she's got several names hasn't she and she is just utterly fantastic in it isn't she she she's amazing and I think I read somewhere possibly it was an in interview with the director actually that so she played the same part in the original play mm. and he said that it was actually 
sort of brilliant but also a little bit sad seeing her do the same role again for the film because she is now the age oh, I'll cry. Miss Miss Shepherd is at the end of the film, whereas previously she was the age that she is oh, at the beginning gosh. of the period that she starts living outside Alan Bennett's house. And yeah, that just made me really sad because I don't like to think of Maggie Smith no. being older. I just, I was absolutely blown away by her performance in this film. Mm. And I think sometimes you almost feel like you have to say about these kinds of actresses, you know, you know who I'm thinking of, like Meryl Streep. Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren. Judy Dench. Yeah, exactly. Nancy Judy Wilton. Walters even, yeah. like so, who's not obviously quite that old. You feel like you have to say like, oh yeah, fantastic performance, excellent actress. And sometimes it's so like going through the motions and watching their performances can feel the same. Like you're like, yes, this is very good. Maggie Smith was so good in this. I just, it was like seeing a whole new actress perform. Mm. I was honestly just like, oh yeah, you don't actually just do that Downton Abbey shtick, like, yes. which I always think is brilliant. And I'm always like, oh yeah, Maggie Smith's brilliant in Downton Abbey. But like, it's so formulaic and almost easy. She makes it look so natural that you forget that it's good. And with this, I, I really, the whole time was like, wow, you're a brilliant actress. Just amazing and i think actually it's really nice timing that the films come out just as downton abbey's finishing mm. because she's actually a lot more it seems open about downton abbey than some of the other actors own in that when people ask her that really banal question of like do you like being in downton abbey do you enjoy it she's like it's okay but it's a lot of work so look mm. like, i get really tired it's it's a lot of shooting it's a lot of months of work and it is something that it, i'm sure it must be a fun role to play mm. but uh, well i hope maggie smith is not remembered it's no, the so, dowager countess from downton abbey when she's got so many so other. <laughs> having a film like this come out just at the moment when to us that role is sort of coming to an end it's like oh wait no she is definitely incredible in many many other things yeah because she played this role with so many things at once it, she was vulnerable but also there was a real sense of dignity about the role mm. but also so a really comic performance in many ways as well. And she's quite manipulative as well, Miss yeah. Shepherd. But sort of knowingly so. So Alan Bennett couldn't tell that she's yeah, manipulating him, him and he sort of lets it happen anyway. But is that not what our most people's experiences yeah. with older people yeah. in a way? Like you know like when someone's trying to get you to do something but you know that you're obliged to do it because yeah. actually they don't have the means to do it themselves anymore. But, and also she's incredibly perceptive because so like um, one of the ways in which they play with kind of reality and surreality in this in that a lot of the time there's two Alan Bennett's on screen. Yeah, he, both played by Alex Jennings. Really brilliantly. Yeah. Dead, the voice is dead on. Yeah, um, I actually thought maybe it was him when the voiceover mm -hmm. first started because, you know, it's such a familiar sort of caricature of a voice. And so many people do impressions of it, but that one, this one is so good that I was a bit like, oh, have they actually got Alan Bennett to like narrate this? And then after a few, you know, sentences, I was like, oh no, it's not actually him, but it's very good. He lives alone, kind of quite, he's quite lonely because, you know, it's the 70s and he's gay and he doesn't feel like he can tell anybody. He talks to himself a lot in this house. And so rather than have him talking to an empty room, they have him talking to another version of himself. He's a his own duplicate on screen and he talks about the division one of them is the self who writes and the other one is the self who lives mm. and they kind of tease each other and reproach each other all the time but one of the things that his two selves talk about is so his mother is back up in yorkshire she's you know declining she's got dementia she ends up having to go into a home and he feels really guilty his mother's constantly hinting that she would like to come and live with him and he's constantly saying no no, no you've got your own house but he allows Miss Shepherd to live right in front of his mm -hmm. house in her van. 
And so he's constantly examining this idea of like guilt and obligation. And Miss Shepherd knows that. She's constantly asking him, how's your mother? Mm. She senses that he's in some way using her as a kind of surrogate. And and she kind of ribs him about this. So she's, yeah, she's definitely the cleverest character on screen. For me, I could have done without the whole frame you know the Mm. two alan bennett's i love alan bennett if i say that to people i think that in their mind is alan bennett sat you know doing a monologue saying mother smelt faintly of fish that day and like that's not what i love about alan bennett i i I love his characters that he really it gives so much humanity to so for me obviously the the bit that you're interested in in this film is miss shepherd's and how she's got to where she's got to and what her life was like before and all those bits about her life really moved me. And it's really difficult to do something like this where you want that voice of the writer to come in. Like, as you say, is it better if you have him talking to himself in his house? For me, I kind of would have liked the whole Alan Bennett persona to be much more in the background in mm. general so that there could have been more of a focus on Miss Shepherd or, you know, maybe the film could have just been streamlined and a bit shorter without it. I think especially right at the end, for me, it all got a bit after sort of the na- the main narrative with Miss Shepherd has ended, there's a lot of sort of additional add-on bits yeah, that I just is. felt were going on too long and were all very cheesy, like what Alan Bennett would say to himself, like, well, it turns out you don't put yourself into what you write, you know, yeah. you find yourself in it. And those kinds of lines, I'm like, oh, do we really... It's just a bit cheesy for me. And like, actually, I was much more moved when we were just, you know, looking at Miss Shepherd and thinking about her. I did like the breaking the fourth wall bit right at the very end though where um oh yeah that was really interesting actually where you see the real alan bennett cycling down the road that you've seen the actor playing alan bennett cycle down and he sort of turns into the drive of what we assume must be his house actual house his actual house the actors are there being filmed the whole crew's there and they're filming a bit where they're unveiling a blue plaque for miss shepherd on the wall of the house and so you've got two alan bennett's in the picture you've got the alan bennett behind the camera and the one in front of the camera and that i think brought you back to that little on-screen statement right at the beginning a mostly true story and that kind of said that framed it really nicely i thought yeah breaking the fourth wall happens quite often now but that was a really interesting it was like you know a meta film within a film moment that was really interesting but i do think that whole like oh we've got to get the real alan bennett on screen part of it is part of this whole idea of the like caricature of alan bennett the character and actually that's not my favorite thing about alan bennett at all you know my favorite alan bennett things are much more about the you know fictional characters that he brings into it this was a real as well this film was a real like roll call of uh, people who were in the history boys people who were in the history boys they i think they had the, every single history apart boy apart from richard griffiths who sadly yeah was of dead. course of course but he would have been in it if he didn't but all the boys did they not have every boy in there because they Could had tosner who was like a, an actor who sort of like swung by his house dominic cooper dakin he swung by the house too. Um, they had Rudge, who was another one. Uh, um, the one house of, as one well. of them was the doctor. The doctor, who was played Akhtar in the mm. film. The Jehovah's Witness, who played Crowther in the film. The ambulance driver was Lockwood. Yep. And then they also had lots of the teachers, as you say, except Richard Griffiths, because Francis Delator. The same Stephen Campbell Moore. Oh my God, that was that. So Stephen Campbell Moore is probably one of the last ones to come in. Yeah. You hear his voice before you see his face. And I heard his voice and I was like, of course, of course it's bloody Steve Campbell Moore. And, actually, <laughs> and they even had the headmaster, didn't they, yeah. going into the confession room. So it was like literally... <laughs> Uh, everyone. Everyone. Um, I wondered as well whether, had he still been alive, Richard Griffiths would have played the Roger Allen part, neighbour on the other side of the road. Who's very... I think he might have been too old, though, but oh, maybe. to play him now. I don't know. But a very kind of snobby couple who actually really interesting, although they don't get much time in the film. You kind of, I've thought about them a lot in the sense that 
I think there are lots of people like that. They're definitely representative of a type, aren't they? Yeah, you know, live in North London, work in what they think of non-conventional jobs. They even allude to it at a point. They're like, oh, there's lots of people like us around here, you know, broadcasters, journalists, lawyers, artists. And you're like, oh, that you think you see yourself as part of this sort of like vaguely artistic middle class. And they think of themselves as so liberal, but actually they're the least helpful to Miss Shepherd. They're the ones who, when they see her parking her van outside their house they like run down the street and try and stop her yeah. <laughs> everyone else on the street i mean alan bennett is obviously particularly accommodating to her but everyone else on the street he's says, also the least showy about yeah. it isn't he but they all like bring her presents at christmas bring her leftovers generally. although they know they're not going to be thanked for it no but they all do whereas this couple are the only ones who don't but also the only ones who seem to publicly want to show off about they, how they, they say are. she's part of the community yeah. don't they, or something no it's a, so that's sort of always in the sidelines isn't it it's not something that's obsessed over but it, it is also a portrait of a community and how they deal with the idea of this woman that needs support that no one's obliged to help and she is you know and she a makes bit of a it, nuisance she doesn't make it easy yeah she's not she's not a kind of obviously deserving or obviously grateful person nor should she have to be but it would be a lot easier to sort of give your money to a, a charity that was, you know, helping a soup kitchen or something than it would be to give it to Miss Shepherd. Yeah, and like someone brings her coats and she's like, green's not my colour and like throws the coat on the floor. There are so many wonderful lines like that because it is part of this character's idea of herself that, you know, she's she's got dignity. Yeah. She's always going on about how clean she is, even though she's terribly dirty the entire time. And there's a lot of talk about her just you know smelling or like weeing and pooping on the street but she still maintains that she doesn't need anybody's help but she comes up with all these weird you know reasons as to why she has to like move the van and like why she has to paint the van and like she i love her painting the van she paints it like bright yellow and and because she, she, it's not always the same van like over the 15 years that she and Bennett sort of live together she has a succession of vans and eventually she always paints them the same color this like really really bright sunshiny yellow yeah and th- that's one of the best moments is it because Maggie Smith I know that I've gone on and on about how great her performance is but she she plays this character with you know her face a lot of the time there's there's not often that much joy in her mm. face and that moment where she's painting yeah. the van, and she's like, there's this like kind of crazed joy behind her eyes and this real pride. There's a lot of control, isn't there? In like, although she lives in a van in a state of like dirt and stuff, it's her van and it's got mm. all her stuff in. And she like paints her own van a ridiculous color. And like you say, she like gets Madeira cake in the paint and it's like really lumpy and everyone else is like, this is awful. But she's like, it's it's my van and I'm going to paint it how I want to paint yeah, it. Yeah, and the, the Alan Bennett character and... Um... Oddly, for classical music fans out there, so Frances de la Tour plays the widow of Ray Vaughan Williams, mm. the famous composer, just randomly. I assume that she did actually live on the streets, otherwise yeah. it'd be a really <laughs> weird way to include her. But um, So they're like standing there watching her paint the van, and they're both really enjoying watching her. Mm. You can see they're, mm. they're, they're really smiling. And they're sort of saying, like, you have to mix the paint. You can't just, like, splash it everywhere. Like, you have to... It's got lumps in. She's like, the paint is fine. I have mixed it. I accidentally dropped some Madeira cake in it. And then carries <laughs> on. <laughs> I won a prize for painting. But it's all lumps. You have to mix it. I have. I have mixed it. Only I, I got some Madeira cake in it. Monet himself could not have done it better. 
it's just beautiful. My favourite scene, I think, in this, she goes to, is it Brighton where she's going by the sea? It's Broadstairs. Broadstairs. You later realise that, that one of her relatives lives there and, that, and it's also a site of considerable importance in her life. There's a trauma in her life that um, changes her. There's a scene where she goes there and she's sort of walking along the beach, like, I can't remember if she's eating a sandwich or an ice cream or something, and then she goes on the, um... On the carousel. On the carousel. She's a really great chewer, Maggie Smith, as an actress. Like, she, when she eats in this, I was really like, wow, you're, like, communicating so much in your chewing. Anyway, yeah, and it, and it's one of the few moments, like, laugh out loud moments. I was laughing as she was sort of chewing on the beach, and I was laughing as she was sat really happily in the carousel while this kid was like, mum! <laughs> She's just like this, you know, old, haggard-looking woman on the carousel, like, in a big goose, like, really happy. And then she goes into a little church, and it's like a community day for senior citizens, and there's, like, tea and cake, and she, like, wanders in. There's a piano performance happening. And the whole way through, she has moments of real uncontrollable rage when she hears music and she shouts at people to turn off the din, turn off the din. And she doesn't like listening to music, which is something that Alan Bennett is always really curious about, because obviously who dislikes music? And you learn that she's a former pianist and she goes into this church and sits and she's like looking at the piano and you're like, oh, is she going to kick off or is she going to stay? And she stays and she's sort of like nodding along with the music and it like got me so bad i was like weeping in the cinema it's like so again it's all part of how brilliant she is at at performing it but i was just like oh my god i'm literally just gonna cry for the rest of my life this is so so beautiful (laughs) and then they they revisit that sort of theme at the end don't Mm. they and it's really moving yeah it is and makes you think a lot about old people (laughs) it does and how she doesn't want to tell anybody i think it would be a less good film if the the message was that Oh, Miss Shepherd, she was taken too soon. We never knew her. She was always trying to tell us things and we didn't listen. Yeah. This was people actively tried to say, to find out about her, and she just didn't want to tell anybody. Yeah. And she's suffering with stuff that she can't, like, forgive herself yeah. for in a really, like, awful way. Because every time you see her, because you see her as an old woman, you don't, I mean, there are, like, flashbacks, but you don't really get to know her as a young woman mm. or a middle-aged woman you feel like how could how could you be possible so hard on yourself you know you're vulnerable you're delicate you know but she's so proud and so hard on herself at the same time mm. and that's like a really interesting like contrast that's going on at the same time but yeah it made me feel like oh my god i've got to call my gran immediately mm. like <laughs> i would absolutely say go and see it although i wasn't like everything about this film was perfect it like really got me in a big way and i would like definitely go and see it so if you were planning on going and seeing the hunger games this week go and see the hunger games but like also go and see lady in the van because i don't want it to get like forgotten alongside these other bigger films that are out yes definitely it's also a surprisingly heartwarming film Mm. i'd say given all that we've said about how sad it is you will come out of the cinema feeling better yeah there were times where i would like i was like oh my god am i about to laugh or weep i actually just don't know (laughs) it's just emotional so go and see it
swappy reviewy time <laughs> it's not the name of this section we're still trying guys so continue to help out you have been like really making valiant suggestions but none have stuck yet but this week i suggested that caroline watch the children's classic wishbone a fantastic tv series about a dog who observes his family in their daily trials and tribulations and internally relates it to works of classic literature play out on screen the dog plays a character from the classic piece of literature and then the rest are all played by humans caroline which ones did you watch first of all so i watched the episode that i believe is called frankenbone um <laughs> one of it less good pun titles like yeah. they can be very good and then i also watched the one that's based on sleepy hollow i can't remember what that episode is called yeah, um and then i also like watched a few clips from other ones i watched like a clip of him being sherlock holmes and a few other sherlock things. bones maybe sherlock bones, i don't know yeah and my initial reaction was that i sort of thought maybe you were exaggerating or being hyperbolic when you described it to me yeah, no. i was like the dog doesn't actually make frankenstein's monster does he and i was like oh wait no he does yeah it's very literal as a program yeah and like it's american this program and there's like some voiceover doing the dog but like I'm someone who loves to see like dogs speak in films and they don't do the really annoying thing of trying to make the dog's like mouth move like it's no, a person. No, no, it's, he just, it's, it's like internal. He just like doesn't open his mouth, which I quite like. Then my follow-up reaction was, how did they make the dog do all that stuff? Yeah, it's, it's really, really impressive. Like, Jack Hattic Russell's, I think it mu- must be yeah. really good at this stuff because like so many films use Jack Russell's. It, yeah, the dog and the artist dogs. is a Jack Russell. My sister has tried really hard to make our dog like wear clothes before and she just scratches them off immediately because she hates them um so i don't know how they managed to make this dog wear like a cape and a hat or <laughs> yeah. or, or, like, shakespearean tights and a rough in, in, the, in the frankenbone episode there was a point where he was wearing like a shirt he had actual sleeves <laughs> yeah. on it's like what um so yeah it's so good all credit to the dog trainer behind every dog actor behind every dog actor a great, a great dog, trainer a great dog trainer <laughs> Yeah, it was mad. That's all I can really yeah. say about it. I cared a lot less about the bits with the family than I did about the bits where it was reenacting Frankenstein or Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, it's um, quite an unnecessary framing device yeah. just to get a dog like, to I really talk don't about, care about that, literature. that kid's science project. Why can't it's it just like the be... Frankenbone yeah. frame. I would be very happy just to watch like the adventures of this dog. There's a great piece on the toast which we'll link to, which is like the brainstorming meeting, you know, the, pi- <laughs> the pitch meeting for Wishbone. It's just the, the the, the like executives being like so wait the dog speaks and they're like no no he doesn't speak he just like narrates internally and they're like right so then there's like a dog version of the play that you're talking about he's like no not a dog version i mean the dog plays the lead role but like the rest are all like adult people <laughs> and they're like oh right is there any lyric way with that and they're like no this is how it has to be this is how it's gonna be like, okay but it is just as as absolutely weird and mad as it sounds the other thing about this is each episode's an hour long, isn't it? They're very long. Yeah, they could definitely stand to be shorter. It should have definitely all come out of the, the like, human family context, the framing device, because mm. I just didn't care about that. But they're not, like, I seem to remember quite long and rambling scenes that were lost on me as a child where people would, like, talk about, for example, like, the, the internal politics of the men in Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. And the dog would just be sat there like, well, I, Ichabod Crane, think that uh, the, the vicar should be the one to be in charge of this. And you're yeah. like, why? I'm like seven years old. I don't understand what you're talking about. Yeah, there is also, <laughs> obviously, the bit that everyone knows, even kids know from Frankenstein, is the bit where he's making the monster. Yeah. So you would have thought you'd jump straight to that bit. Yeah. But no, there's a whole extended scenes of like Victor Frankenstein at medical school and stuff. <laughs> 
where he's the like, dog gang is diploma. Where he's like sat in a lecture with loads of other students. It's like, why? Yeah, how? I just don't. I mean, I know how much I loved this show as a kid, but I'm like, how did I follow? But like, <laughs> it's, it's so all, I can't imagine that many children being like happy to sit and watch yeah, 20, a 20 minute scene set in a medical school just because there's a dog in it also. <laughs> Maybe that is how children operate. I don't know. It's very strange. And the episodes could definitely stand to be shorter. But that said, I did really enjoy it. So if anyone's ever done like a super cut of all of the dog bits, yeah, I would watch the hell out of that. Yeah, I'd be really up for that also. Another good tip if you're thinking of watching this at home is like, just pick your favourite book and they've probably done it. Like your yeah. favourite, like fam- very famous classic work of literature. Like if you're an Austin fan, there's an Austin episode and you know, etc etc so maybe that's the best way in because i also sometimes think that it does make quite good like parody points about Mm. the literature in question like someone will be like but this is surely ridiculous in a way that like they don't in the original book yeah would you recommend caroline yes i definitely would with the proviso that you're totally allowed to just skip the boring bits (laughs) with the american kids well fantastic we love wishbone i also did you like the theme tune yes what's the story wishbone What's the story, Wishbone? That's like gonna be in my head till the day I die. <laughs> that was another thing that was really funny. When I was watching my second episode, I was like, this theme tune is really long. Yeah. Goes- <laughs> and then it's like, he's like in an attic surrounded by books. His baby like climbs up on one pile of books. He's like, hey, I'm a reading dog. <laughs> and what are you gonna recommend me for next week? There are no dogs in this. I'm just gonna warn you now. Ooh. I'm really sorry. But it is a web series that I've been enjoying called X Best, which is about two best friends who have decided not to be best friends anymore. Already my heart, it hurts. Yeah, so I think what might help you with this is that they are kind of awful people. But like, are not all are all people not awful people to their best friends in a weird way? Like, is your Probably, best friend not the um, person that you show like the horrible bits of yourself? Yeah, maybe to? because you feel like you can. Yeah. yeah, maybe. And you know, it's complicated for them because they they still have like a lot of mutual friends and they still work in the same place oh. and stuff like that. But there's a real like broad city vibe about it because oh, it's fun. Like they work in this ridiculous startup that I still don't know what it does. And, you know, that kind of stuff. You give that a go. See what you think. I think I'm going to enjoy It sounds like right up our alley, doesn't it? So I'll definitely give that a watch. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. We have a special request of our listeners. We are turning our thoughts to Christmas and we want to do a special episode all about Christmas television, how you watch it, what you enjoy and so on. So we would like to hear from you. All our contact details can be found on newstatesman.com forward slash SRSLY. Please get in touch. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.